The Relevant You is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Speak Boise. Speak Boise is a community-driven studio space where voices from all walks of life can speak and be heard. You can find them on Instagram and Facebook at Speak Studios, Speak Boise, and at their website, speakstudios.com. Speak Studios, speak and be heard. This podcast is also brought to you by Instant Imprints. Promote better with Instant Imprints. Instant Imprints are Boise's visual communications experts and your place for everything you need to promote your business, club, school, or group. As a locally owned business, Instant Imprints specializes in making your organization more visible with custom-branded apparel, embroidery, promotional items, print services, and wide-format printing for signs, as well as banners and vehicle graphics. Want a better way to get noticed? Visit Instant Imprints at instantimprints.com backslash Boise or call 208-IMPRINT. That's 208-467-7468. Hi, welcome to the Relevant You podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Benelli, and I help people and companies get back in touch with what they stand for and what they want to be known for, transforming their careers, leadership, culture, and reputation into more energized versions of themselves so they can grow with renewed vibrancy, focus, and purpose, and make a positive difference in their work, their lives, and on society. Hey everyone, welcome to the Relevant You podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Benelli, and I'm sitting here with my producer, John Benelli. Greetings, everybody. (laughs) Greetings, everybody. And I think, I'm not certain, but this might be podcast number six or podcast number seven. And, uh, you know, as a long time communicator and a long time uh, communications executive, it is really interesting to me what I am learning and relearning about all of the communication vehicles out there. And that podcasts are like this living, ongoing conversation. And as conversations go, they take new shape. They're, they, they're a little bit shape shifter. You remain focused on what that, that relevant element was, but it, it takes shape and it gets more focused and it creates more definition as it keeps going. And so this has been really an interesting learning experience of doing a podcast instead of coaching people on podcasts. Um, it's actually given me a great deal of empathy, something that I think I was lacking in my coaching um, and to when you are actually the one doing the work, when you're doing the, the podcasting, having that conversation, uh, you know, giving yourself the flexibility to let it unfold and to also in that unfolding, um, find its rhythm. You know, we talk about finding your audience and, and finding your focus. It's also finding that rhythm and allowing it, it to reveal itself. And so, if any of you listened to episode one or two, and I know when I'm listening to podcasts, I don't always go back to episodes one and two. Um, I go by topic, and if I really connect with somebody, I may go forwards and backwards. But in episode one and two, and trying to define what the relevant you was, I shared the story of 
a little bit of my career, and um, and I shared the story of seeing during mergers and acquisitions how many people, really, really good people, were struggling with the relevancy of their career and the relevancy of their experience when they were being laid off uh, and not being you know laid off because the company's gone out of business, but being laid off because of job redundancy or shifts in strategy. And that can really you know, create a lot of doubt about your own value. And so the relevant you is a little bit about that, but really what the relevant you is focused on is the bigger picture of that. And what I mean is the relevant you is about you, a leader, and, remain, and the relevancy within your leader and how to lead relevantly. And it's also about you, the organization, the team, the business, and how to create that culture of relevancy. And then that touch point is, it's the human touch point. You can't have reputation without being relevant. You can't have a healthy culture without being relevant, and that touch point is leadership. And so we're going to talk throughout this, and as again, as this conversation takes shape and defines itself, um, you will continue to talk about what's happening out there in leadership. What are, what are people learning? What are they experiencing? What are they bringing to the table? What are the best practices? Um, a lot of research, a lot of real-time experience. And, um, you know, the conversation will grow and involve other people. And so that's been a big learning experience for me in relevancy, is allowing a conversation, rather than so tightly controlling a conversation, especially in a vehicle like a podcast, allowing it to um, reveal itself through that conversation. So that's been, yeah, that's been pretty interesting. And sharing that with my clients, my coaching clients, um, it's actually made me a better uh, advisor and coach to leaders um, rather than everybody wants to come in and control something because then they believe that they will achieve that ambition and that outcome. But um, there is a great deal of value in allowing something to naturally unfold while knowing what the outcome is, but allowing that unfolding to happen, uh, well, naturally. Yeah, so I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking, um, question for you is when that tipping point Mm -hmm. of allowing yourself to be a leader, when did that happen in your career? When did you say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to give myself permission to actually lead? Mm. Gosh, wow. You know, when people are promoted, and I'm going to answer that question, I, I am answering. When people are promoted into what we call people management roles as opposed to project management roles, when people are promoted into people management roles, there's, it is incredibly rare that they get training for it, that they receive mentoring for it. People get promoted for political reasons. They get promoted um, because of outstanding performance. They get promoted for all kinds of reasons. Um, and primarily, they get promoted because they're really, really good at delivering results. And very little focus is paid attention to as in the delivering of that great result for the organization, for the team, for the company. How did you treat the people? How did you actually lead them? 
And so I was promoted frequently uh, early in my career because, quite honestly, I was outstanding at delivering results and exceeding results. Uh, I was always exceeding results. It was so satisfying for me. It gave me great, a great deal of meaning and a great deal of professional identity, and I loved the work. But I was not very good at leading people. And, um, and I went about leadership of, of trying to treat the people the same way that I would treat a project. By, um, you know, you take a project and you break it down into certain pieces. And then you set timelines. And, and then you have checklists. And I would assign people to the tasks, right? So I managed people like I managed tasks. And then the other thing that happened is that I would start to feel insecure because people are, you know, people and they would be complaining or they would be um, challenging because people are people. And uh, so then I thought I needed to befriend them. I needed to become their friends. Like, wait, this isn't working. Just treating the person like a task, like the meaning to the end. So instead of that, oh, I'll I'll make an adjustment and I and I will treat them like my best friend. I will be overly empathetic. I will be overly kind. I will I will listen to them. I will make certain that my door is always open. I will be thoughtful. I will and then things weren't going well with that because then people didn't know who was leading. And when something happened that I needed to make a business decision for. I needed to move fast. I needed to think fast. I needed to act fast. I needed people to get um, to to show up and and be thinking more critically. I needed people to show up and be giving their best. They weren't doing that, and so then I would get frustrated. You know, so it becomes this downward spiral. And so when did I give myself permission to lead? I gave myself permission to lead after a really particularly painful experience. Um, with a very well-known company, and I was the head of global communications. Um, bless you. And you. I was trying to lead by a combination of task and overly empathetic. Just a crap way to manage. And a really, a really talented team member who I liked so much as a person. And and additionally respected so much for their natural talents and their natural leadership. They were quite young. Um, they've, they went on to have a spectacular, spectacular, I mean, spectacular career. But when they were on my team at this particular company, they resigned and the feedback I got was because of my leadership style and that I was overly friendly and I didn't respect boundaries and they didn't know who was leading and um yeah it was just it was bad and I was I wasn't a great leader I was not a great leader I was a great deliverer of outcomes but I wasn't a great leader and it was a wake-up call for me so I would say that's in my late 30s and that's when I started doing a lot of the soul searching about what does it mean to be a great leader and started interviewing great leaders and going and expanding my education and doing a lot of research and then putting it into action and seeing 
really amazing results in developing the the theory of empowered leadership and what does that look like in action and not writing about it and speaking about it, but actually doing it and developing the system and all of that. So when did I, you know, I've got on about when did I actually begin giving myself permission to lead? It was actually, it was after I failed. I, I mean, I truly failed as a leader. I, re, I mean, I truly failed as a leader. And rather than getting angry about it, taking a step back and saying, but what is it going to take? And, um, and in some ways, it took reinventing. It took reinventing my approach to leadership. Mm-hmm. So um, in that reinvention process, mm-hmm. what was that tipping point where you went, oh, that's how I do it. That's how leaders lead. And I am going to go down that path. Yeah, it was in the discovery of what makes people tick. And by looking at myself and when I was led well. So I have not always had good leaders around me. I haven't, you know, really good people, people I'd really enjoy going to dinner with, but, but completely ignorant when it came to being leaders. They led by domination or they led by intimidation or they led by task or they led by outcome, but they didn't lead by modeling um, they didn't lead by modeling decisiveness, listening, um, appropriate empathy, motivation, um, uh, influence, imagination. They didn't lead by that. But I had a few. I, excuse me. I, I had a few. And I would go back and look at what was their leadership style and why did it resonate so much with me and why... Because of that leadership style, did I want to show up every day at my best and give my best and go home at the end of the day feeling excited about the work because of what I experienced when I was able to give? And one of those, one of those very early leaders was a woman when I was an intern for a tech company. This is long, 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 long time ago. But she is the first person, when I look back, who actually modeled empowered leadership. And it started because she knew exactly what her value was. She knew that she was valuable. She knew that she had areas of expertise and she had broader areas of experience um, that, that gave her the confidence and the certainty to show up at her best every day. She didn't question her ability to do the job. She always embraced that she was going to be learning every single day. And the people around her, she modeled that and she taught that. And she took the time to find for everybody um, what were the areas that they were really, really good at and always giving them things to do that were in alignment with what they loved to do and what they were exceptional at and then stretching them to learn those areas that maybe they didn't enjoy that are necessary or didn't think that they were good at because they didn't know it. So it was that combination of tapping into what really makes somebody tick and lights them up, but also stretching them so that they are constantly increasing their abilities, their capabilities, and their contribution. Because at the end of the day, everybody wants to make a meaningful contribution. That's what it is. That's what lights people up is, hey, how was your job today? How was work today? Man, 
man, we had this project and we did this and we pushed this and we created this and we achieved that. People will talk about that forever. But when you say, hey, how was work today? Oh my God, I was in a meeting and it droned on. Nobody listened to me and we were snarking at each other. And you know, I had to go do these spreadsheets and it was just so Monday. Man, that is not lighting up. That's when you are task-oriented leadership. But when you are empowered-oriented leadership, you are so you are certain without being domineering of your ability to make a difference because you know you you know what it is that you do best and you're willing to continuously learn and expand yourself so that you can then allow people to show up at their best. A lot of leaders will keep people down because they don't want to be outshone because they don't know their own value. So they're not going to acknowledge yours. So I reached back. I realized that woman when I was in my early 20s, she modeled that and subconsciously I was always referring to that but I'd never analyzed it. I'd never really said, what was it? And when I, when I realized that, then I started looking at other leaders in my life and my career who modeled the same thing and seeing the results they got from their organizations and their teams and their businesses and realizing that's what I want to be. That is what I want to be. And so then taking a look at myself and, and finding the confidence within myself to show up as myself to stop doubting, to stop overly criticizing, to realize I'm human, I'm going to make mistakes, I've made a lot. Um, they, were ne- they were never malicious. Very few of them were intentional. Um, and you know, saying, okay, that's, that's part of learning. Um, failing is part of learning. And then looking at other people and saying, what is your sweet spot? What lights you up? What can you bring to this that is going to energize you and energize this project? Man, things go, things go crazy great when a leader takes the time to do that. And, and you still achieve wonderful things. You still get better outcomes than you could have hoped for. Um, but too many leaders just get focused on the task, get focused on the pressure, and they forget that they're dealing with other human beings just like themselves. And then they don't even, and, and they neglect to take the time to look within themselves at what makes them tick, what is their sweet spot. Because they're, they're looking for the, the golden ring, the brass ring, and they've been told that the only way to get that is by achieving outcomes. But I'm here to say, outcomes, everything's an outcome. But the way you get that is by understanding your own value so you can see the value in others. And then you will more than get that golden ring. You will define that golden ring. You will, you will you'll blow that golden ring into, into outer space and there will be so much more that you can do and you can achieve more than you dared hope because people want to follow you. People want to be led by you. People want to make that contribution it's no longer an individual um, ambition. It now everybody's ambitions um, get to be addressed. Mm-hmm. So um, as you were going through that process, I was wondering um, with your current client roster, um, how have you seen success with, um, with 
them as you've taken them through this process to under to understand what um, what their um, leadership style is. Yeah, I don't I don't know that it's about the process. I think what I think what I think it's easier to understand the different styles that yeah, that's an interesting <laughs> that's an interesting question. The, you know, the the process. I mean, I, c- I could break it down into the process, um, well, but that's instance, really not what's going to be of value in this conversation. Yeah, well, more to the point, um, you have different personality types that you deal with, and they all have, you know, their um, desire to be good leaders. How do you help them um, make that transition? If you you know if you have a really hard driving uh, person and she all she wants or all he wants is to get results, get results, get results, and they can't understand or they don't understand why they're not getting the best out of their team. And so, in a situation like that, how do you help them see that bigger picture? Yeah. Okay. I get it. So. Everybody does have a different leadership style. That's the beauty of being human. The the consistency in leaders that people want to follow is when teams know, when teams and individuals, when they know that they've been seen and heard and they know that they have work that's meaningful to them. it, it, It comes down to that, and it seems like a very simple formula, but it requires the leader to actually to actually pause and listen, to actually acknowledge that they've heard their team, to have the confidence to take their team's input into consideration rather than just saying, you know, it's my way or the highway. Um, you know, different, different leadership styles, you know, it, it just comes down into basic um, personality. And so it's a matter of not losing yourself in trying to follow different formulas and different machinations of leadership, thinking this is what you should do, here are the 10 principles, or here's the three rules, whatever. You know, that, that doesn't work because you're dealing with human beings and you're a human being. Um, and you, what it is is you are all trying to pull together to achieve an outcome. And... Um, but you're human beings doing it, and you're human beings doing it together. And everybody has a different role. Everybody has a different level of experience and expertise and skill set that they bring. And it's how do we come together with our different opinions, our different life experiences, our different um, skill sets, our different ex- you know, uh, work experiences, our skill set experience, different levels of maturity and skill set, maturity and experience. How do we all come together to pull together to bring our best to achieve a common outcome that we're all pulling for? And it, 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 is, it starts with the leader. It starts with the leader looking at their team and saying, okay, here's the outcome. And here's how I understand what each member of my team brings to the table. This person is really, really good at time management. You know, so I want to put them in a role where they are 
running the the spreadsheet uh, the the spreadsheet over deliverables and accountability and when are we delivering what and what are the um, what are the touch points for all of these with all of the different areas and right so project management a huge element of project management is time management but the, another element of project management is understanding how to break everything down into the moving pieces. You know, so is there a team member that can do that where those two can collaborate? Um, you know, another level of achieving outcomes is, you know, who's bringing the creative? Who's bringing the problem solving? Um, in software, who's leading the code? In, in communications, who's leading the strategy? And then what are what the levels are underneath? Some people are spectacular at social media. Other people are better in the one-on-one -on -one conversations with influencers and reporters. When you're working on marketing, some people are really great at at copy. Others are, you know, within the creative team, you've got your graphic. So it's identifying what each person, the skill set that they bring, and getting them into a role, into a deliverable that taps into that area of expertise and, and developed skill set, stretches them out of their comfort zone um, so that they continue to grow, and, and allowing everybody to show up as themselves, but also understanding the rules of the game. Because if you just show up as yourselves, then you have chaos. But the rules of the game are, how do we treat each other? Um, developing clear communication. Uh, being accountable for the work, being responsible to deliver your best, um, knowing how to escalate if there's an issue, right? These are processes, these are rules and, and guidelines of engagement that create trust, that create credibility. And then within that, allowing the flexibility for people to tap into their creativity, tap into their imagination, tap into their critical thinking, in order to bring best. That is how I work with my clients in helping them show up at the best and knowing how to help their team show up as the best. But what I found is interesting in the different leadership styles is women do lead very differently than men. And we have been given very, very, very confusing directives as to what it means to lead. Because see, a man can show up and um, can be very firm in their opinion, can be very firm in their style, can be very direct in their conversation, can you know sometimes be you know, can be offensive, insulting. They just show up differently, more aggressive, more assertive, um, more determined. Women, we've been told, that if we show up that way, that it is a negative on our character, that there's something wrong with our character, that we need to soften our edges, that we need to soften our voices, that we need all these things need to be softer. And that's just a load of crap. I mean, that is a load of crap. That is putting somebody who's highly capable of getting things done, who's highly capable of motivating teams, who's highly capable of achieving those outcomes that businesses and organizations need in order to grow revenue, to grow market share, to grow presence, to bring their best to their customers and their clients, you need firmness, you need decisiveness. And I have been in meetings where men have been yelling at everybody and 
people walked out and said, whoa, that was a tough meeting. And then I've been in meetings where a woman leader stood up and got very divisive and got frustrated and even got angry. And people walked away and said, God, what a bitch. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is the, that's one of the last um, challenges that we as women leaders have is killing that stereotype that just because I have a strong opinion, just because I'm very defi- decisive, just because I am absolutely certain of who I am and what I bring to the table, including my area of expertise and knowledge, yeah, respect me. And do not take it personally if I get very firm in my approach and in my language. We often have to become extra firm in our approach and our language just to be heard, just to get the attention. Then the credibility, we're always having to prove the credibility of our right to be there. I mean, it is still a battle. We've come a long way. And so when I work with my women leaders, it is giving them the confidence to continue to be authentic. But the key is communication. So because we lead differently and because there is still a bias that we want soft women leaders, soft around the edges, soft around the language, soft around the approach, that communication is key. Understanding how to be heard by learning how to communicate better than anybody else. That's the key to leading as a woman. Um, And so that's what I work on with my women leaders. And so one of the things that I want to talk, I wanted to talk about today, and we kind of have been meandering a little bit, is that there's this big movement of empathy in leadership. And last week I was, in the last podcast, I was talking about kindness in leadership. Kindness and and empathy are, they're related, but they're not the same thing. And too often organizations and team members, they expect women leaders to be far more empathetic than male leaders. And women leaders, in an effort to not ruffle feathers, in an effort to achieve that desired softness and approach, will be overly empathetic. And what they end up doing is they end up giving away their leadership. They give away their authority and they lose their credibility. And it just reinforces the bias of you're too soft, right? I wanted you to be soft. Now you're too soft. And so the key is it's communication. It is absolutely learning how to be an outstanding communicator. And one of the historical figures that figured this out was Margaret Thatcher. She used to get reamed all the time. She had a very unusual speaking voice, was kind of high-pitched. Um, you know, she, the, the male leaders in parliament were always saying, I don't want to listen to her. She's too hard. She's too this. And she went and she got a voice coach. I'm not saying that every woman needs a voice coach. She got a voice coach, but she also worked with outstanding communicators to learn how to communicate not just in the way of her tone of voice, which is huge for women, um, but it's also in the way that she crafted her sentences, the way that she crafted her communication. I do happen to have a, um, a communication methodology that I developed over 20 years ago to introduce to the world online banking and online tax filing. It wasn't 
to teach once, you know, men how to communicate with women. It's just an overarching communication approach of how you craft what it is that you need to communicate. It's a communication style um, that everything needs to, at, at the end of the day, people need three things. Your audience needs three things, whether it's one-on-one, one-to-few, or one-to-many. They need to be educated about what it is that you're talking about, whether it's setting context or introducing a new idea. Then um, they need to understand that's not just an opinion, that there's some fact involved. So it, they, it needs to be validated. So how do you bring in data? How do you bring in, how do you use qualitative and quantitative data in order to support what you just educated them on? And then they need to be motivated to take action. They need to believe, they need to embrace, they need to see the potential, engage the imagination. And so when you understand this, and um, gone through the training with me, you realize that this is something that you can apply every day, but what it does is it takes the threat out of the communication because it's no longer about you, it's about them. It's 100% about them. You are bringing them something of value by expanding their awareness through education, by validating that awareness through data and you know qualitative and quantitative and then helping them understand the role that they're going to play the benefit they're going to get or how it's going to make a difference to them for women to master this it is one of the keys to the kingdom of leadership because this whole i've had so many women leaders come to me and say how do i deal with mansplaining now in our marriage (laughs) you and i have this a lot but you know, it's how you how you neutralize mansplaining is by learning how to communicate in a manner back um, that it's not defensive. <laughs> You're laughing. I was just thinking that I get so much data from you. I guess that's how you neutralize. It is how I neutralize mansplaining. your mansplaining. <laughs> it's just is by asking questions, educating you, and validating it with data, and then motivating you. To, to uh, think differently, to maybe. Think differently. <laughs> to explain differently. Could you, yeah, you know, let's get the splaining out of it. Let's have a conversation. Oh. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we've covered a lot of different areas, but I think what it all has come down to is what, you know, what is the essence of, of what's that essence that makes an effective leader, an empowered leader of, how do you empower others? And then specifically for women, how do you balance this, this bias for softness with the need to be authentic to you and your leadership and to who you are as a person and not getting down on yourself if you are being firm and decisive in a meeting? Damn it, leaders have to be firm and decisive. They, they are being irresponsible if they're not. You are managing tasks if you soften your firmness and your decisiveness, because you're just going along with somebody else's decisive. But if you are a leader, then to lead means being firm. To lead means being decisive. To lead means recognizing the value in others and helping them bring their best to the table so that you can go get the goal, so you can go make that difference. And too many women who are in leadership deny that about themselves in an effort to get along with their male counterparts. Now, I like working with men. I, you know, this isn't a female versus male thing. This isn't any of that. 
But there is a bias in the workplace, and it is still there. And even in my coaching, oh, God, in my career, I was always hearing, I was always hearing the rumors. I was always getting the helpful feedback of, man, Tracy, you were really, you know, people are afraid of you. It's like, I don't know why people are afraid of me. I'm actually really easy to talk to, but I also know what I know, and I'm willing to learn, and I know when I, and I know what I don't know, and I'm willing to take direction, but I know what I know, and I'm not going to dumb it down for you. And if that threatens you, the problem isn't me. The issue is you, and you don't know your value. And so I would love to help you find that value because, man, there's so much I can learn from you. There's so much you can learn from me, and together, we can go out, and, man, we can make a difference. But if we're constantly having to defend our knowledge and our experience because somebody feels threatened, man, no wonder companies get stuck. No wonder leadership is ineffective. I mean, that, yeah. So, yeah, so that's today's podcast. Yeah. So, so to me, that came down to um, how can people be authentic, right, and, and show up? Yeah, I mean, I guess... I guess that's one way. I mean, I guess that's one way to sum it up. This has kind of been a, a bag of tricks podcast. But, you know, at, at the heart of it, it's, at the heart of it, it is, it's authentic leadership. And authentic leadership is, it starts by knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and being willing to see others and to acknowledge what it is they bring to the table and then helping them and then nurturing it men and women, nurturing it, empowering that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. So um, I'm hoping the next podcast, um, I'm, I'm, I've uh, reached out to a couple of people to have a, a different kind of leadership conversation, lessons that they've learned. And um, so anyway, I'm hoping the next podcast is, is going to be um, – well, you have an interview, interview somebody. Yeah. Or, or yeah. I'm just waiting to, yeah. I, yeah. I'm just waiting to hear back from them because it's, you know, it's a month where people are going on vacations and things like that. But um, yeah, so today was a little bit of bag of tricks. Uh, and uh, I thank all of you for sticking with it and for showing up. And um, yeah, it's a uh, leadership, man, it's the glue that holds it all together. Mm-hmm. And when companies get it right, whew, they go places. And when companies settle for task-oriented leadership, yeah, they get stuck. And, and then they try all kinds of new things. They break things you know, to, to make it better, or they change things to improve it. And at the end of the day, it's like, no, you just need to shift your mindset, and you need to train your leaders. You need to train your leaders to lead, to lead people, and not just to manage tasks, and um, and in leading people to learn how to see their value, to see their value clearly by recognizing their own as well. That's, yeah. And then for women, and I do want to dig more into this because I feel pretty passionate about it, the bias is still there against women leaders, strong women leaders. And um, I want to be the, one of the voices that helps to educate people to think differently about that. 
Because damn it, we need we need leaders. We need leaders. We've always needed leaders. We really need leaders now. And uh, I really believe that women bring something unique, exceptionally important, and very, very, very relevant to the table right now. And I want to be the one to help them rise up. So welcome to The Relevant You. That's what I was going to ask. How can they uh, get in touch with you to to get to this level? Oh, my God, my website. No, 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 no. Got to get it together. The cobbler's children have no shoes. Um, easiest way is to drop me a note at hello at therelevantyou.com. And I swear, episode six, I still don't have my website up. Maybe by episode seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. I hope you have a gorgeous day and we'll talk with you again. Thank you for listening. Bye. Well, you've made it to the outro and I'm really, really glad that you stayed with it and that you stuck around for the conversation. And I'm really grateful as well. And I hope that you'll come back next week. Um, But in the meantime, if you've got any questions, please go to therelevantyou.com. And be sure to like this podcast on all of the major platforms. I'd really appreciate it. And I look forward to talking with you again really soon. Bye.